When I say continuous improvement, that's because we're shooting for excellence. We never quite attain it, and we get really close. We redefine what excellence is, and we step it up one more time. Hello, Mr. Executive Chairman. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you for it. joining. Thank you for getting dressed up on your Sunday night. I'm really excited to have you on, not only because you are a member of So Good, but because you have such an interesting story and you've done so much. And I feel like I've learned a lot from you through business. Um, and I'm excited for you to share your stories with everyone else. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Lexi. So where are you from? I grew up in New York, mm -hmm. lived there through basically 20 years old, and I lived in a Probably few Probably a different places. New York than I know now. It's a very different New York. Where in the New York area? I grew up in Queens, a place called uh, Bayside, a little earlier than that, Flushing, but uh, Bayside, Queens was most of my youth. Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was a great place, a lot of friends, very different than it is today. Uh, yeah. The danger was in the streets like it is today, but it's a very nice place. I love New York. When did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I don't think there was a word for entrepreneur when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it existed. If it did, I didn't know it. But uh, from a very young age, I wanted to work for myself and build things, uh, whether it was through construction or at a very, very young age. Uh, at 11 years old, I was delivering newspapers. Uh, mm -hmm. I know that because uh, I was delivering papers when, uh, when we landed on the moon and uh, had all these papers. We landed on the moon. That's and so cool. That gives me a year. So that's how I know specifically what year I was delivering them. I never knew that. That's so cool. So let me back up a second because I forget that no one, <laughs> people don't know you like I know you. And so it makes sense when you say you wanted to work for yourself because for people who don't know Ira, he is someone who I can't imagine working for someone else. I can imagine like a seven-year-old you <laughs> starting your own <laughs> hustles in school and whatnot. Where were you in school? Where did I go to school? Yeah. I started off in Flushing, then okay. I went to Bayside uh, High School, then I went to a private school in New York called Rhodes Private School, and from there I went uh, to Queensborough Community College, mm -hmm. from there I went to FIT, and from FIT I went to Civic School of Design. What do you do there? I learned how to design clothing, but really what I ended up learning how to do was architecture. Because through designing, you have to do things in a very specific way. And uh, it taught me how to draw blueprints, as you know I do all the time. Yes. So it was <laughs> by accident I learned it, but it helped a great deal. What were you like in school as a young kid? I was a perfect student. <laughs> it was a different day and time. Lexi knows a lot about it, and... Some I would be willing to share, and some I'm probably not going to share. But uh, I did very well on tests. What was your best subject in school when you were younger? At a very young age, I tested uh, very, very high in uh, all of mathematics. Uh, 
probably by the time I was 10, I was at college-level math. Yeah, it's the uh, opposite of me. <laughs> yeah, we, well, I also don't write as well as you do, or not even I close. probably have hours of footage of Ava and Ira teaching me, <laughs> like, <laughs> fractions, <laughs> ratios. But, uh, no, it, it helped a great deal, and it helped in business a lot, and it also helped in... Uh, extracurricular activities such as poker or something of that nature because odds are very uh, important. Being really good at math when you were younger, did that help you, did that help guide what you would seek as a career later on? No, I think it just helped me uh, when it came to buying and negotiating and understanding uh, the value of things, knowing that uh, if I bought one at this price and 25 at another price, uh, its value meant a lot, and you'd have to know uh, basically the run rate of the sale or the velocity of the sale. So if you know you're going to sell it an X amount of time, the value of the money when you pay for it versus when you're going to receive your money from the sale of the goods matters a lot, and all that comes into the equations. And that was your thought process at a very young age. Believe it or not, it was, but in without the same vocabulary, but that's how you figured it it's out. the mentality that you had. That's the way I figured it out, yes, the mentality. Did you, want it, did you know what process. you wanted to be when you were younger? I wanted to be a retailer at first. I met some very influential people uh, when I was younger, and uh, they had 50 stores, 300 stores, or 3,000 stores. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was something... Very intriguing how you can do all the equations and figure out what every store needs, even if they were in different areas, and how you could build so many stores and help so many people and do so much for so many. It was really something pretty exciting to me. Uh, My thoughts had changed thereafter, but uh, that is what I wanted to do when I was younger. What were your greatest influences when you were younger? I would say by far my father was my greatest influence. Uh, He had a way of looking at life that was very special. Went through a lot, but he looked at life uh, in a very positive way, and he looked at people in a very positive way. So my father was a very interesting person. He And I know we'll go into this a little deeper further on, but uh, he was in the Holocaust. He grew up very poor. He went... uh, from a work camp to a ghetto to another work camp, and then he escaped. And uh, after he escaped, there's a very long story and a book about his escape and where he lived in the woods and how he prospered thereafter. thereafter. The name of the book is Maybe You Will Survive, but uh, these are the stories I grew up with in my life. And his philosophy was always to help people. Even when he was in the Holocaust, he did so much for so many people. Growing up, his friends would always, you know, grab me, you know, from the eight, from very young age, five, six, seven, to, you know, even when I was an adult. You know what your father did for me? If it wasn't for this bar of soap he gave me, I wouldn't have survived the Holocaust. If it wasn't for this bread he gave me, I was starving at the time, and he got me a half a slice of bread, and it just... It gave me a little bit of hope at the time. He, he always found a way to, uh, to survive during the Holocaust where other people had much more difficult time. And this is like in a ghetto or even in a concentration camp. So uh, 
that philosophy stuck with me, that survival instinct and that helping other people. And that that's the core of who I am and who uh, who I think my wife is, which is really interesting. We met each other and we have a very similar mentality. The community that you grew up with, with your dad and your my mom. Mother. My mother taught me so much, taught me so much about humility, taught me it's really amazing when times are very, very tough. Everybody has those days. You wake up and you wish you never got out of bed. One after the other, everything goes wrong. Mother was like, calm down, look at your world, see what it's like. It's really very good. You're going to eat well tonight. Everything's going to be okay in the morning. You know, I know you're in the middle of a tough day and you almost don't want to hear it, but then this calm logic comes through. And every time things were really tough, I heard this calm logic like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. What's really that bad? I, I know it seems that way, but it will come back together tomorrow. You'll figure it out. And it's not, it's not the specifics of anybody's life. It's the fact that everybody has those days. And uh, it's not the fun part, but you know what? It makes the good days so much better. How young were you when... Um, you started learning about the Holocaust from your parents. Did they wait to introduce that world to you, or was it's kind of like inevitable? Their entire I community. Think I was. I think I knew about it at three, four, five years old. That yeah. I just kept on knowing more and more, and I could never get enough. Uh, when my father escaped, he escaped with uh, a brother, uh, my uncle Abe, and. Uh, I heard the stories from my father and my uncle, sometimes together, sometimes separate, and I just could never get enough. It was better than any book or any movie or anything of that nature. And then uh, when their friends came over, every one of them had a different story, and if I could, I tried to grab them and let them tell me their story. And uh, each one had had quite a story there of their own survival and how they did and uh, how they made it through. It took a long time for survivors to be able to tell their stories from the Holocaust, but I feel like with your parents' community, they spoke about it. I think there's uh, two sets of people, some that did not want to speak and some that really wanted their family to learn from what happened to them in the Holocaust. My uncle, Jack, who also survived, uh, he... uh, he fled to Russia just, because, just before the uh, Germans invaded Poland, and uh, he was taken as a spy. He was uh, in, a, uh, in a gulag in Russia, and then he got out and came to this country. The story was a little bit different, but also he, uh, he had quite a story himself. He uh, worked really hard when he came to this country, again, the country of opportunity, and he did extremely well, and uh, it was nice. Uh, my uncles, my cousins, uh, and then every one of their friends, and the community was so large. It wasn't a community of, you know, most people today have three, four, five friends over for dinner, you know, five couples, you have 10 people, wow. And it, there could be 20, 30 couples at a time with my parents, and it wasn't unusual. Uh, every weekend, there was six to 12 couples at somebody's house, one of the group's house. And then there was always new people and somebody else came in from 
what they called the old country, you know, somebody that came in from Israel after the war, somebody that was still in Germany and came over. But a lot of them started in my father's town. And they, uh, they, had a, they called it the society, where if somebody came in and they didn't have any money, the people from Bialbjeg, which was a town my father was from. In Poland. In Poland, I'm sorry. In Poland would give, uh, would take care of the person, help them with uh, rent for a little while, try to find them a job, make sure their family was fed. And I know a lot of the people that came in. I was, remember when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And uh, they'd come in. I had no idea who they were. And they didn't speak English yet. And uh, those same people all did pretty well. And uh, I ended up friends with their kids. And they all did very well. That, obviously, it's not everybody. But it was, a, it was very interesting, uh, the mentality that came with it. And really, it was, again, I'm, I'm saying it quite often, but it was land of opportunity where they can come here. As long as they're willing to work hard and put what it takes, they did all right. This is a side note, but hearing you say that you would get all of their stories, you're such a good storyteller that that must be where it's from. From a young age, you heard so many stories, and you're a particularly good storyteller coming from a person who's terrible at telling stories. I don't know about that. I think you're real good, but (laughs) (laughs) thank you for the compliment. And you also spoke Yiddish when you were younger. I never spoke Yiddish. My parents used to speak to me in Yiddish when my friends were around and, you know, tell me, don't do this. You'll get in trouble if you do all these things I wasn't allowed to do. But they would say it in Yiddish. So I understood them and I'd say, okay, no problem. And I'd answer in English. So I understood fluently, but I couldn't speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, As, you know, I guess 15 or so, I learned how to speak a little bit when I went to Israel. Even though everybody speaks Hebrew in Israel, all of their friends, all of the survivors, spoke Yiddish. It was the language of the concentration camps. Uh, it was a German derivative language, and uh, it helped. It's how I got through in Israel with their friends who didn't speak English. Was business the main trade of uh, survivors in your community, or did their occupations differ a lot? I think everyone, and I'm quickly thinking about a good question, Lex, uh, thinking real hard. I, I don't know anybody that was, you know, that turned out to be a lawyer or a doctor. They wanted their kids their to kids, be lawyers yeah. or doctors, but they came here in their you know, 30s with sixth grade education or third grade education. So doctors and lawyers were not what they were going to be. And uh, a lot of them started with manual labor, whatever they had to do, and they found a way to own a a hot dog stand that turned into a restaurant or own a uh, little laundromat that turned into a chain of laundromats. Or, you know, they all just worked real hard and the one thing all of the uh, children, the, you know, the children of the Hulk, all my friends, all my parents, friends, kids who <laughs> I knew, they, uh, they didn't see their parents a lot. They didn't see their fathers a lot. Their mothers were mixed. Some worked, some did not. But uh, their fathers got up at 5 or 6 in the morning, left for work, got home at 7 or 8 at night, and they worked a six-day week. And uh, Sunday they really were wrecked tired and they stayed home. So it wasn't 
it wasn't like they saw their parents all the time. They were setting up a life for the next generation. Your dad also, um, I'm thinking back to his stories, he did so many different types of businesses. Very early, he he came here, he invested every penny he had from uh, Israel because he had a farm in Israel, and he invested it in a uh, laundromat. Yeah. He lost it immediately. Yeah. Uh, realized it wasn't going to work out. Then he worked real hard, and he uh, went to a leather factory. And that leather factory was leather coats. Well, when he was younger, he was an apprentice for leather shoe making. Yeah, we're talking about, think about He's this. Like 11. Uh, a 9, 10, 11-year-old kid yeah. being an apprentice, and uh, they're working basically for food because they were very, very poor in uh, Poland. So that entrepreneurial spirit is something that you picked up on very young from both your father and from those around you. I think so. I think that's what I saw and that's what I understood. And how old are you? Was G3? When did G3 start? Well, my father uh, met somebody uh, who uh, had a leather factory. His brother introduced him to somebody. Uh, Let me explain how big this factory was. There were two people working there and this one person uh, who needed help, who needed a partner. Uh, he knew how to sew, and my father knew how to cut. So my father uh, went to meet him. It was a brother-in-law of uh, of my uncle, excuse me. And uh, when he met him, he agreed to be his partner. Uh, and most of it was sweat equity. He really didn't have anything. And the company is called G and N Sportswear for Goldfarb and Novak Sportswear. And uh, he built that business all the way about 1971, two, three, right around there. And uh, my father decided to uh, make it his and his two sons. That's why he named it G3, my father, my brother, and myself. Uh, Little did he know that I wanted to be an entrepreneur myself and go into my own business and... uh, make my own mark on this world but he gave me every opportunity in the world to go there and uh, work with him and when you were younger didn't your dad test you when you'd like go into a restaurant or something and he'd say how many people are here yes. how many floors is that building yes uh my father wanted me always to know my surroundings to survive in a holocaust you always needed to know your surroundings so I remember like being in a restaurant, you know, not looking, you know, I'm, I'm facing a wall or something and say, okay, how many people are here? And I was like, oh man, I didn't even think. And I just had to pick up all my senses and I gave them a good guess. I don't know. After a few years, I guess, I was accurate to within one or two people usually. Uh, how many seats are in a restaurant or how many seats are in a movie theater or or I always knew it right away. I was quick calculation, looked around, knew what it was, and it just taught me to be aware of my surroundings. Uh, I don't know what it did exactly, but it's a good thing. It was always you have very, very good spatial reasoning. Like I can just walk into a room and say, "Oh, it's this many feet," and I'm like, <laughs> I can't even conceptualize how many feet that is. But and the blueprints for um, for our facilities, you can make like. 
3D structures and it just looks like an exact replica of the building. That came from when I, th- I think it came from when I went to that school for design, even though it was yeah. clothing, you do ha- learn how to do architectural design, build a model of what a factory should look like. And we do, uh, what ended up happening is my father was a manufacturer is, uh, he always wanted to be better at what he w- in, you know, as a manufacturer, be the best he could be. But the tools and the reasoning was a little different then than it is today. From where he went, I took it to another level. I believe in continuous improvement. You can always be better. And that's basically our motto in the uh, building and how we live life. Uh, We can get it to one level, and what was excellent today might not be excellent tomorrow. I think we can get it further. We can take it further. So when I say continuous improvement, that's because we're shooting for excellence we never quite attain it, and we get really close. We redefine what excellence is, and we step it up one more time. So that helped a great deal. And uh, you, you were asking about my father and the factory. It, it's sort of uh, you figure out how long something takes uh, within, you know, you can break it down into tenths of a second. You want to make sure you don't waste tenths of a second. You don't waste a step. You don't waste that. You laugh. Is that something that, that, that you learned from your dad? Or just being around the factory? I think he did it naturally. And you just picked up on it? And then I picked up on it. And how, I, much, how much things did he like explicitly say to you? Like, son, this is a lesson you must learn. And none. how much you just like, yeah, I think <laughs> you sorry. just, no, no, <laughs> none. <laughs> he didn't speak to me. <laughs> must learn it. Just no, I, think, there was a, I think he led by example for you. I think you just picked up on a lot of things he did. And like being, seeing him around um, his friends and around his employees, I think you just picked up a lot naturally. Life was different then. I mean, yeah. it wasn't, this is what you must learn. This is what you can't do. Yeah. What you can <laughs> do is a little different. What you can't do, and the cans teaches you, teach you the cans. And the cans are, uh, and I formalized in manufacturing what he knew naturally mm-hmm. and what, I think, how he ran a factory. Then I just took it to FIT, helped me with uh, motion and time study. Uh, Civic School Design helped me with architecture and laying out, you know, a factory and making sure there wasn't one wasted step, so on and so forth. And then learning uh, taught me uh, everything's got a place, everything has to be in its place, and everything very specific. For somebody who's ADHD, it's uh, very difficult to have everything perfect. But that's what we shoot for daily, and it really is. It's exciting. As you see it coming together, there's a beauty to it, and there absolutely is a beauty to it. I was laughing earlier because (laughs) we all know in the facility, any area that could be improved efficiency-wise, Ira's going to find out, and he's going to tell you how to fix it. My favorite memory is we were at a trade show, my first trade show for So Good, and I was unpacking all of the snacks and putting them into um, the display, and they were like (laughs) 10 feet apart, and so I was picking them up and then carrying them over, and Ava goes, Lexi, I'm really channeling my inner Ira right now when I tell you, if you could just carry the box right next to the display and save like 10 steps 
why would you not do that? <laughs> and I was like, my God, you're so right. <laughs> and that was pure Ira coming out of you just now. My way of teaching isn't quite as nice. Uh, <laughs> it's a little sarcastic. So yeah. if somebody's walking five or ten steps to get something, they're taking that walk ten times, I just ask them, why don't they take that box and move it 50 feet further away? Yeah. And they say, why would I do that? It's so much more work. I say, so why don't you move the box closer to you? That's, Isn't that less yeah. work? Yeah. It's like, mm, yeah, I guess so. So the sarcasm has to come out, and that's... That comes from being in New York. But the lessons are learned, and I really think uh, the same people who, who I teach are teaching other people, and that's why we're so efficient and why we will compete with anybody in the world because we are that efficient and we do, next up, make the best products. And when you make the best products, it just comes natural that you're going to build quite a business. And we did that every business we ever built. When there's an opportunity to build a family dynasty, most people jump on that opportunity. You know, all the groundwork's already there. G3, your dad had already made. There was perfect opportunity for you to just work there. And, you know, you never have to worry about finding another job for the rest of your life. Why did that not appeal to you? Why did you want to go out and start all of your own ventures? Where you're putting that together, which is very true, most people are that way, would mean security is the uh, number one thing. And to a lot of people it is. I was given the opportunity to do things on my own that uh, could be great. And uh, I didn't want to just go into something that was built already. I wanted to build something special and give other people the opportunity to work with me and build something special with that. And uh, I chose to go that route. Everybody has a uh, direction they want to take in life. And uh, mine was to do something special, be an entrepreneur. I built six or seven businesses that I sold to either public companies or private people or PE companies. And uh, through the road of that, I learned quite a bit. And I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. And today we're building something even more special than the last uh, companies we built. And uh, it's, it's an exciting route. And I think that's a testament to the community you grew up in. Like your dad came from nothing and built something. I think that rubbed off on you, even though you had an opportunity. And it would have been great if you had taken it. It was also great that you just decided to go out on your own and see what can I make of myself? What can I build myself? Right. I agree with that uh, to a large extent. The one thing I wish I could agree with, uh, I didn't come from nothing. I had a lot when I started. Yeah. So uh, it made it a little bit easier for me than other people. Mm -hmm. But the tenacity doesn't change. You've got to have it if you're going to be an entrepreneur. You just keep on going forward. And not every day is a good day. There are tough days. I can't yeah. tell you the road was... Uh, perfect all the way through. Uh, we had some, uh, I had some tough years through it. There were some losses in the middle of all the wins, but uh, the losses just end up teaching you more. And uh, I'm better for it as a person. What were the lessons that you learned? Um, what were the, some of the most important lessons you learned? I'm going to let company? her say this question again in a minute, <laughs> but I have to say something about Lexi. Okay. Lexi, uh, Always, it was always tenacious from 
a child. Then she uh, went to school uh, to a yeshiva in Philadelphia. Did very well there. Bryn Mawr, PA. In Bryn Mawr. And then she went to uh, Georgetown, took probably as tough or the toughest thing I can imagine ever taking, took neurobiology. She gets a degree in neurobiology, and I don't even know if she knew what she wanted to do with that degree. And then she decided to work for an attorney for a law firm, and uh, she did extremely well there. She had so many opportunities in front of her, but with uh, during COVID, Claudia, that's my wife, her my mother, mother. <laughs> and uh, I were talking about building this company so good. And Lexi was teaching me things through this. A lot of stuff I didn't know about the millennials and how they view food and how they view nutrition and everything else. And as much as she's giving me credit, she could have had it pretty easy. She could have had a very safe life making quite a living with uh, her background and the offers she was getting. But she chose to be an entrepreneur because... This is just as much hers as it is ours. <laughs> I don't know how that turned into me, but that was so nice. Because you asked me a question about <laughs> how is it that you can just do that. Yeah. And you did it too. Uh, I mean, I guess that's the inspiration that's the I got. It's kind you of a nice some. thought. Aaron, your dad's entrepreneurial spirit sure. is carrying down the generations. I believe it is too. And it's great that it does really that. special. Um, and we'll continue getting more into it, but I feel like the lessons you learned from him are lessons I've learned from you and that I try to carry into so good. What I think is really exciting is Lexi gets to learn from where I am today. So a lot of the mistakes I made, uh, she won't make those hopefully because she sees it from here and yeah. you know we've talked about them. She'll make her own and new ones, but it will be at a much higher level, which is really cool. But getting back to the question, what are <laughs> I told you the question. <laughs> what were some of the most important lessons that you took away from the businesses that you've built? I worked for a gentleman uh, as a consultant. His name was Lyle Berman, and he taught me a great deal about merchandising. And it's not what I like, it's what our customer likes. And uh, that was phenomenal. Uh, that really took me to the next level again. And then uh, business was great and uh, hit a mild recession during that. And uh, I didn't realize you, if you go forward, you, could, you have to like slow down during a recession. So I just kept on going full speed and it taught me... Uh, You've got to look at what's going on in the world. Look at the economy. Look at everything else. And don't react very immediately to it, but look at it and make sure you do it properly. If you uh, grow uh, retail at the wrong time, uh, guess what? You're going to get hurt by it. I did. And uh, it made me think next time, if I was ever in that position, I would look at it a little differently. And... Uh, Never got hurt like that again in business because I did understand it. And I think that's a lesson people are learning now with COVID. I think a lot of people learn a lesson in COVID. I think uh, retail is very tough now like it was then. And uh, restaurants are very tough. And uh, I think uh, 
people are going to have to figure it out. And I don't know what figuring it out is. There's, uh, it's very tough right now when it comes to uh, employees uh, taking care of your employees, keeping them around, giving them medical and everything else. That helps a great deal. But uh, they got to be happy at the job. And I think that's going to uh, change a little bit. People are going to look at how their employees uh, are going to want to stay and figure out what to do to make it more like a family, like they want to stay there. That's something that you are remarkable at. You and my mom are yes. so good at building really good teams. And that's something that we're working on now. You're really good at spotting talent in people who start in lower positions on your team, say that they work in you know, packaging or something. And you're really good at saying, oh, that person is working extremely efficiently. That person <laughs> is really good at X, Y, Z. Let me go talk to them, see what they want out of life, give them another interview and uh, see where, where they want to go and how we can help them. And that's what we call opportunity. Yeah. Uh, now, you got to be very careful when you give people opportunity. I used to say this in uh, retail. If you make your best salesperson a manager and they really don't have managerial experience or a talent, you can lose them because, one, they're going to turn unhappy, and now you've lost your best salesperson because you pushed them to be a manager. So today, we don't push anybody to do anything. We ask them. We give them the opportunity. We show them what the opportunity is going to look like, and we let them make their decisions. So learning uh, goes for everybody, not just the people that work for us, but all of us, whether it's Lexi, whether it's Claudia, whether it's myself. We're, we're learning on a daily basis, and that's part of the continuous improvement. Your dad did so much to help other people, and he didn't need to. You guys give so many people chances, and where where I'm like, that's a little bit risky. Um, you guys just go for it when you don't need to, and I think it's such a nice trait to see in a businessman, um, in an entrepreneur, to take that risk when you don't need to. But that's how you get very, very loyal um, employees who feel like family at this point. It's uh, we don't need to, but. Uh they might have needed it, and they're willing to show us that they need it. And I think that's where that loyalty comes from, and that hard work, and that will to push and make things better. And guess what? Maybe they'll pay it forward. Yeah. So that helps. Lexi's going to be doing that her whole life, so that everybody she does sort of makes Claudia and I feel much better because it's one, two, ten, twenty more people yeah. that have been given that opportunity. And each time we give somebody the opportunity and it works out, there's nothing that feels better. That's the best success you could have. So that's it's really cool. What does success look like to you? I feel changes. like you've had a lot of versions of success in your life. It changes uh, through the years. Yeah. Uh, today, success looks much different than it did 10 years ago or 20 years ago to me. Today, uh, it's to build a company that produces the absolute best quality, best product that's great for the environment, great for the people, and give opportunity to everybody. That's what success looks like to me. And uh, when you see something running as close to perfection as you can get it, 
there's a beauty to that. That's that's my art. I yeah. I don't have I don't draw. I don't play music, but that's art to me. It is. And when you walk around a facility, especially with the previous company, massive, massive facility, and seeing it run, you know, extremely smoothly and efficiently, that's that is art in itself. It is, but this one's going to be a lot larger. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I've tangentially been related to the manufacturing world just from you guys. Right. But it's something that I've never seen every day. And it's something that I never really thought about whenever I bought my products, um, whether it's skincare, whether it's food or whatever it is, um, whether someone made the product themselves or not. And the vast difference in work it takes to make a product yourself and constant. It's like raising a child. (laughs) It really is. It's every single day. I've seen you guys have to like wake up in the middle of the night to go, you know, check on the freeze dryer or get calls from the employees checking on the freeze dryer. You know, manufacturing is a beast. When you start a manufacturing and especially in food, because food safety is involved, we were getting calls day and night for testing or whatever else to make sure it was perfect. Something was off a little bit. Either Claudia and myself would run in and make sure it would be okay. That was very important to us. Our uh, freeze dryer is built for exactly what we want. So it's a proprietary freeze dryer that we put together that does fruit and vegetables better than any freeze dryer around. And the fact that we have one that's that good makes our product, again, the excellence we've been talking about. We just got an SQF audit, which would be like USDA. Mother should come in just for that. USDA on steroids. And uh, we got a 98 out of 100. It's unheard of to get anything like that on your first test, on your first audit. Yeah. And uh, I could tell you after the audit, we were trying to figure out how we do better on the next audit. And we yeah. wanted to, like I said, we're shooting for perfection. Hi, Mommy. How do you feel about the 98 on the SQF audit? We are amazing. <laughs> as soon as the auditor left, we were already walking the floor and calling in Zach or Nate and saying, oh, guys, can we fix this over here? Correct. It's nonstop. It's not just as soon as someone comes, someone official comes and checks it out that we go to a slovenly state of things, um, you improve even from there because we're going to get 100 on the next one. You know, building that team, like understanding your weaknesses, showing that up, getting other people to come in. I feel like you and my mom are also good at balancing each other out with weaknesses and I was just going to mention that. That's where I was just thinking. So we were talking earlier about manufacturing and formalizing what we do, making it more specific. And Claudia does that for me, where I can see what what needs to be done or whatever else. And she helps formalize a lot of that, which makes it easier for the next group to co- that comes in. It's on paper. It's very understandable. And together, there's, you know, she does accounting and I'm doing buying and she's doing managing this and I'm managing that over there. And together... Uh, Powerhouse. It really does work out. And uh, we don't specifically say, oh, you do this and, you know, I do this and so on and so forth. But uh, I just took credit for the QA. But really, that was all Claudia. She really put that together well and put a team together and has taught the people there. And uh, that helped a great deal. Something we haven't touched on is the fact that 
so good as a public company. And I talked to mommy about this on her episode. So you've never run a public company before. No. What was your fear? I have somewhat of a big mouth coming from New York. I was a little bit nervous being a CEO of a public company. But uh, as we went forward, uh, Claudia and I spoke, and she has the ability to be the CEO of a public company, where I do not. She uh, is very articulate, and... uh, she has a much better filter than I do. So, you know, being from New York and how I grew up, my filter is uh, <laughs> it's a little large, so you go right through it sometimes. And uh, Let's just say we had a swear jar growing up that <laughs> filled up very quickly. <laughs> yeah, they did very well, the kids, from uh, that swear jar. <laughs> that was our side hustle. <laughs> so uh, Claudia and I are true partners, and we decided... Uh, what we should do and what positions we should have, and her being the CEO just made the most sense. So there's no ego involved when it comes to this. We just try to come up with what's best and how uh, how we could run the company the best way. And uh, also, when we were talking about how we're going to build the company, we wanted to build a company where every single person had the opportunity to do well. So we decided uh, we'd give up some of our stock options so our employees, every single one of them, would have stock options. Thank you. And we want them to <laughs> get their stock options every year going forward. We're hoping that will give them the opportunity to change their life. But not only that, by working real hard and doing you know, the continuous improvement, shooting for excellence, they they reap their benefits. The stock's worth more if they do well. And I love giving them that opportunity. Again, that's what success feels like. You've probably seen the landscape of business change so much in the last few decades that you've been starting and selling Try businesses. Try to tell me I'm old. <laughs> in the wisdom you have accumulated, <laughs> true businessmen can make it through many generations. They can pivot. They can advance with the times. Some of them are just like, with the old ways, this is what we did. You know, they don't know how to write emails. <laughs> they don't. You know, there's things that people didn't learn. I feel like you've kept up with the times. Thank and you. especially with So Good, I'm sure it looked extremely different than the very first business that you've built. There's one thing that never changed. When you make the best product, yeah, it's still the best product. So if you keep up to that, you've won a good piece of the fight, the battle. Uh, But now we bring people aboard, my daughter here, (laughs) who really does understand brand building. We understand how to build it, how to make it, how to make the best product. Uh, We know how to sell the product. But... Building the brand is a little different, and we're continually learning. So, uh, yes, we can pivot. Uh, yes, successful businessmen do learn, and they do grow, and you know they don't get stuck at, uh, this is the way we did it, so it's always going to be this way. Those are the companies that are just not there anymore, and there's a lot of them. Yeah. I have two more questions now. I got more to questions. Someone, I thought it was over. To someone... <laughs> um, <laughs> To someone in their 20s, and a lot of people watching this will be around my age, what advice do you give them at the start of their careers? You know, 
as you said earlier, success looked different to you at different stages. How do you keep a clear head, a clear side on what's important, what values you want to maintain through your career and the success that fits you? When you're 20, you look at things or 25 or 30 very differently than you do at my age. But what you do, if you do things the right way and when you see a way to do it better, you also have the opportunity of helping people on the way. I know that's hard because you have a tough day. You, need, you want to make more money. You're, you're looking to keep on striving forward, and you should do all those things. But you also should look at the end of the day. What did today look like? And I do that every single night. How could have I lived today a little bit better? What could have I done that was a little bit better than yesterday? The truth is, if you do that, I don't know what business you're in, but whatever business you're in, the first step is doing it the best possible way and saying, you know what, there's still a better way because there always is. You can't just expect that you'll get it right the first time, the second or the third time. In your previous businesses, you guys have worked very hard, very long hours. I think you guys have come to learn um, over time the importance of putting all that you can into work, but also in your family, also in your friends. I love coming home and seeing that you guys have friends over, or I love that you know you guys are out doing things on the weekends. Um, it's nice seeing you guys have such a strong balance of you're giving 110% to your company, to your employees, to each other, and to your family and loved ones. Thank you. Uh, it's really interesting. We're very lucky, not only uh, Claudia and I working together, but we have the girls working with us. And uh, we get to go home and meet our friends for dinner and so on and so forth. It's really nice. We really have built quite a life. And building a life, uh, there's no substitute for that. If you're only working, you're going to feel the miss. You're going to feel, what are you doing it for? So you've got to have a balance there. I can't tell you I've always had the balance, but I can tell you now we do. And that's part of my learning and what has changed in my life. Yeah. What are words of wisdom that you would give to viewers on actions that they can take now to sow seeds of positive change in themselves, their communities, their environment? What, what parting words are you going to give the audience? I think it's the same thing I've been saying throughout. If you're going to do something, do it the absolute best you possibly can. And when you learn what's your best... Look at it harder. You'll find a way to do it even better. Uh, success will come to you. Whichever way, whichever way you look at success, it will hit you because you're the best of who you can be. Well. Well. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. Um, no, wait, wait, wait. We have to close off. Oh, wait. I have to close off. I can't just... Okay. Not out. Uh, What's the close? We can't just, just, can't just walk away. <laughs> We're done. Thank you so much for coming on. It has been such a pleasure. I love being able to share your story with other people. You've been an inspiration to me, to a lot of other people at work and outside of work. So I'm excited to continue growing. And thank you for coming on. Thank you. By the way, Lexi inspires me too. So as much as I inspire her, she really does have the right uh, mentality here. So, All gained from good influences. Thank you. Thank you.